Welcome back to the Elite Level Cross Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ross Mondello. In today's episode, we will break down the semifinal games as we look ahead to this weekend's championship game matchup. We will also discuss some major news that's coming out um, and discuss some of the rumors that are swirling around the lacrosse world. Let's get started with the semifinal matchup between the Redwoods and the Archers. Looking at this matchup, we talked a lot about how the Archers were just at a whole nother level above almost every other team that they played this year. You could just see it in, the, in their balance at attack, their um, athleticism, shooting ability, um, offense at, at the midfield, you know, just the, the chemistry that that offense was showing um, throughout the season just was game in and game out. Um, they seem to be just clicking and firing it on all cylinders. Um, then you look at their defense and their goalkeeping, um, very solid uh, throughout the whole season. Um, they're just there right now. They are, in my opinion, they're, they're the team to beat. Um, if you can match the physicality, if you can match the speed, um, if you can take away some of the things that, you know, game in and game out that they're trying to do, um, you'll have an opportunity to compete with them. I thought the Redwoods would would have given a little bit more. I thought I was going to see a little bit more from them. Um, but again, the way the game started out, it did say, take some time for the for the archers to really start to click again. Um, it it took it to about the nine thirty five mark in the first quarter um, before we started to see some scoring and and almost once um, that goal came from Grant Ament um, just to to start things off in that first quarter. The the archers kind of rolled the rest of the way. Um, you know they got that first goal from Grant Ament. Um, the next goal came at the seven twenty mark. Uh, by Connor Fields, assisted by Grant Ament. Um, you continue to see, you know, goal by Tom Shriver, uh, assist by Amen again. Um, and then that final goal of the quarter, uh, another goal from Connor Fields. And again, that name is going to pop up, you know, frequently throughout our conversation today. Grant Ament with another assist in the first quarter. Um, so, you know, he just started things off. And was a part of every goal in that first quarter. Um, and the Archers just, you know, took some time. But then you just started to see their athleticism, um, their team speed, their ability to attack quickly um, really started to show once they started going. Um, and it was almost like they never looked back. You saw just the the, the changes that they made putting Grant Amen down on attack in a position where he's comfortable with. Um, I'm surprised that they didn't you know, do that early on in the season. Um, I know that they were trying to create matchups, but you just see how lethal he is playing you know, in that attack position. You saw them also run a lot of similar type plays um, with Amen um, and, and O'Keefe, who were teammates in Penn State. Um, you just saw you saw a lot of similarities between what those two were doing on the field and what they did and and the success that they had at Penn State. You saw you know dodges with Amen below GLE, just him one on one. You saw some some potential you know razor picks. You saw some some picks more closer to to the crease, um, but still again below GLE. You saw a lot of of you know initiation from Grant Ament, and then you started to see O'Keefe just floating off ball, and that's what Penn State did. You know when they were making that run, when you know they were just you know an offense uh, an offensive juggernaut. 
you know, back in college, you would see O'Keefe start on that left side. He would typically float up and over and he would just sit in space. They would run a lot of off ball movement, um, a lot of, uh, of inside cuts, um, a lot of inside picks. They would set picks, you know, for a meant he would use them sometimes. Sometimes he wouldn't. Um, and a lot of times he would either get to, you know, he would come through X and feed O'Keefe up top. He would, you know, potentially turn the corner. He would feed a lot inside. And, and you saw some similarities between the success that Penn State had years ago with O'Keefe and with Grant Amet. You saw a lot of similarities in their offense, you know, this go round, this semifinal matchup. And that was, you know, it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch back when Penn State, you know, made that, you know, Final Four run. It was fun to watch this past weekend. Um, and I think that ability to put Amen in the, the position, um, in the location of the field that he's comfortable at, you know, running him out of the box. Yeah, I expected a little bit more out of him as, you know, throughout the season. I expected kind of like a Xander Dixon type um, impact on the offense. But he, he, was, he was contributing, but not at this kind of level. And you just see, you know, when they've got, you know, honestly, when they've got O'Keefe out there, Fields and Ament, there's so much explosiveness. There's so much, you know, ability to, to create. You've got O'Keefe, who, who is a great shooter. You have Fields, who can, you know, finish everywhere and anywhere. Um, he, can, he can dodge from, you know, that left side and just create, create mismatches and create great opportunities for, for a goal. Um, and then you have Grand Amen, who's operating, you know, below GLE, out in those corners. Um, you know, he can even float up to a wing, a low wing, and, and dodge from there. Um, you know, he just has that innate ability to, to utilize picks well um, or to get his man thinking he's going to use the pick and not use it. Um, so, again, that first quarter, you know, the archers just jump out for nothing. Um, then it kind of goes back and forth a little bit. You saw, you know, the Redwoods finally get that goal from Romar Dennis um, at the 1044 mark in quarter two. Um, and But then it goes right back to Mac O'Keefe. Um, assisted by Grand Amen on the next goal, um, and then you you see you know right there it's it's four one, and you think the Redwoods are going to creep back, and then it pushes to five one. Um, then it goes to five two with a goal from Rob Pinnell, and then you get that two pointer from Trey Leclerc. Uh, from Trey LeClaire and then TD Erland to finish off that quarter, you know, and you, you're rolling into halftime. It's seven, three, you know, it's not out of reach for the Redwoods, but just the, the way that the momentum went to the Redwoods and swung quickly right back, you know, to the archers was, you know, a little cause for uncertainty that, that the Redwoods could make a run. And, and you saw right out of the gate, um, Ament scores, you know, to start that third quarter at 9.31. O'Keefe again. Then you got, uh, you know, goals just to finish off that quarter. And really, that third quarter, the Archers came out and they just really clamped down. And they really just put the Redwoods in a tough spot. Um, you know, and I think that third quarter is really kind of what capped off, you know, 
a stellar performance by this team. Um, you know, they just the athleticism that they show, their ability to attack early and often is very much what you used to have with with the college game. Um, when it went to a shot clock, you know, a lot of coaches, I know even myself when I was coaching at the college level, you know, how are we going to handle the shot clock? How are we going to handle this? Um, and so you had to start to think, how can I attack while still trying to sub? How can we be aggressive when we're still trying to get personnel out there? And how can we put our players in a position to, to be attacking yet to be smart? Um, and you see the way that the archers attack, it's very calculated. Um, you see a lot of times their short sticks, their poles, you know, they will, they will run those, you know, the, off of the clears, you know, they're pushing transition right away. Um, and even just a simple pass down, pick down in transition with some slow numbers, um, it just catches teams off guard because they'll just come down, they'll pass it, you know. Yeah, it was opportunities where they're passing it down to to Connor Fields and the pole or the short stick will kind of set a pick and roll off. And um, it it just is, you know, it doesn't look like they're attacking, you know, full speed, but they are attacking. And there are times where they'll catch teams, you know, ball side, you know, and it doesn't look on the ball side. It doesn't look like they are, you know, fully engaged in attacking and they will just spot, you know, people hedging over or people out of position and they'll find somebody open on the, on the opposite side of the field and on the back side, and they, they exploit it. Um, you know, their transition is just, it's, it's very impressive. The way that they can get that ball moving, um, is remarkable. And I think that puts teams in a, in a, in a tough position. Um, you know, really they have that ability once they kind of get going is you know they can they can really put you in a tough position where you are almost chasing them. Um, they're just so fast and athletic, and the the opportunities that they create um, really really put teams in, in a tough spot. Um, you know when you break down just overall stats, you you look at Grant Amen who led the way with eight points um, for the Archers. He had three goals, um, you know one two pointer and and four assists. You look at Pinnell, you know, for the Redwoods, he, he was able to, you know, have his two goals. Um, one was a two-pointer, you know, he, he had three points. But really, you saw from the, from the Redwoods, you know, they just were, were having a hard time, you know, having consistent, fluid offensive possessions. Um, it, it looked at times, you would watch the Archers, and they are, you know, moving on ball, they are, you know, either setting picks or shallow cuts, off ball, they're rotating and moving and cycling. And there was just a lot more action off ball with the archers. Um, and then you would look down, the Redwoods would, would gain a possession and it was just, it was a little slow, a little stagnant. Um, I think there were times where they were just settling for a shot, you know, and in, in many cases, a lot of these guys are probably trying to get shots to get going. Um, you know, you see that from a lot of players, they, they will, the first time they get the ball, they want to have a go and they want to get themselves acclimated into that game. They want to see who, if they're going to, if a team, how the team's going to play them. Um, and I think really the way that the, the game went, you know, the Redwoods really weren't able to get some fluid, you know, 
offensive possessions and they just looked out of sync, um, which was not where they were the week before. You know, you look at, you know, TD Erlin and Sisselberger, that matchup, um, you know, TD wins 10 out of 19. Um, Sisselberger wins eight out of 19. But again, it, it just was, you know, two of the best in the game. Um, and it was really fun to watch. You know, it's just, it's just a battle, two different, different styles. Um, but again, just a, just a great matchup. And it's just refreshing to see two face-off guys go at it um, and really see that because, you know, the way that the league is going and the way that some teams are finding success without having a face-off guy, it is a little uncertain for me in where the game is going. Is, is the game trying to eliminate face-off guys? Is this game trying to you know, revert back to decades ago where you had a guy that could face off um, and he would stay on and he would be, you know, your, your top face-off guy. He'd be your best offensive guy. He'd go down and play defense. And then he'd come right back and face off again. Um, and then you may, might sub him out. But w- where, where is this game going? Um, you know, I think with some teams, it's, it's hard to compete, you know, when you have a guy that's, you know, just conceding the face-off. And then you have your, you know, your LSM stand up and, and just, you know, go after them or you have your defensive personnel out there. Um, I, I don't know if that is going to push a team to a championship. Um, the Water Dogs, you know, we'll talk about them a little bit later, but, you know, they're a team that does have, you know, Courier, who is a short stick. He is winning faceoffs um, and is able to be, you know, a a, a huge contribution to the offensive end as well as play defense. You know, so is the game going more towards a, a, a courier? Um, is it going to, you know, a traditional face-off guy where we have, you know, Trevor Baptiste, we have TD Erlin, Mike Sisselberger, that kind of play? Um, is it trying to force those face-off guys to be a little bit more, you know, of an offensive contributor um, or, you know, to help on the defensive end? It'll be interesting to see where the game goes um, because right now it's it's the the faceoffs and the shot clock that is you know being given to these players you know with thirty two seconds you know in some cases you know these teams have you know eighteen seconds fifteen seconds twelve seconds you know of a possession and I don't think teams are are handling that situation and you know good there are good teams out there that are they're taking advantage of it they almost don't care if you have the first possession. You know, they'll, they'll get the next possession with, you know, 52 seconds. Um, you know, digging deeper into the, the game, you know, stats, um, you saw Jack Kelly only have six saves um, and was 42%, where Dobson had 18 saves at 78%. Um, and that's huge. You know, that right there is huge because, you know, it's such a momentum swing. Um, and what was impressive with Dobson, not just his saves, his ability to get that team going. He has that ability, you know, to get the ball to the right spot, to the right player in, in their breakout schemes and really have the ability to push that ball right back at the team, um, right back at the Redwoods in this case. Um, and you just saw the moment the ball got to him, he was banging that ball out, you know, um, and, and having Rodgers, who's more predominant dominantly an, an offensive minded player having him out uh, as a D midi to be able to go down and put transition 
Um, that adjustment and the adjustment with Grant down at, at attack as opposed to coming out of the box, you know, really just sparked this team. And I think it made it hard on, you know, the matchups as well. You saw, you know, with the Redwoods, um, you know, some of the matchups, they just, you know, going into the game, you kind of figured, okay, Apple, you know, maybe he'll, he'll be on Connor Fields. Um, and then you have Grant Ament out there. And it's now there's a whole nother adjustment to how you're going to play it. Are you going to go with the matchups that you thought going in? Are you going to move somebody now? You know, somebody that's maybe watched film um, on this player, you know, all week. And, you know, this is the game plan and this is the scouting report. You know, it, that little, you know, adjustment that you're going to have to make could create, you know, some confusion or it can create, you know, some disruption, you know, possibly in your defense. Um, you know, going forward and digging a little bit deeper into team stats, um, you know, the ground balls to the archers, um, shots, you know, went to the, the Redwoods, but again, then you look at their shooting percentage was only 11%. Um, so they were getting a lot of shots, you know, that stat 45 shots for the Redwoods and 42 for the archers, very close. But when you look at it, you know, the archers shot with, with a higher percentage of efficiency, you know, they shot their shooting percentage was 28.6%, um, as opposed to 11.1 for the Redwoods. Um, and, and that right there, that kind of will, you know, swing the way of the archers, you know, those two stats, ground balls, Shots and shooting percentage, uh, you know, are, are stats that you're always looking at. Um, you know, the turnovers, you know, the archers had more turnovers, but again, you know, they're just ultra aggressive. So, you know, when you have a goalie that's going to make, you know, 18 saves, you know, and you, you throw the ball away here or there, like you're, you're okay because your defense is playing great. You know, you have a solid face off guy, so you, you can easily win possession there. You know, it's going to be 50, 50, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those stats where, you know, yeah, they turn the ball over a little bit, but what is, what are the Redwoods doing with those turnovers? Um, you know, the face-off battle was close. It again swung the way of the Redwoods. Um, but in the way that the game is today, the, the, the way that it is this year, um, you know, again, you can win 57% of your face-offs like the Redwoods did um, and still struggle. You know, that stat was, was huge. And then, you know, the saves when we, we've talked about that, just, you know, the last couple points that we've made. Um, and then, you know, just possession, you know, the, the possession swung a little bit more to the archers. Um, and that has to do with, with saves, you know, getting them those possessions and those touches. Um, and then even though the, the Redwoods are winning those faceoffs, you know, if they're get if the, the archers, are creating stops, they're getting the ball right back. Um, so again, you know, I thought at first this could have been a closer game. Um, but again, it's just, I, I think that the, the team that's going to be able to compete and beat the archers is going to have to be a team that can match them with physicality, can match them with speed, um, and can, and can, can really match in a lot of areas. Um, and I know we're going to talk about that second game, um, from the semifinal, uh, but the winner of that game, I think it has, has the ability to match, you know, the style of play that the archers have because they run a very, a, a little bit of a similar style. Um, they have a lot of 
phases of the game that are are solid are you know their their goalkeeping the the water dogs goalkeeping is is remarkable um i think their defense is is physical aggressive athletic um they're just in sync with each other i think that the the water dogs have some great depth at you know defensive midfield i think the way that they're handling the faceoffs um is is a style that works for them and that's i think moving forward teams have to realize okay are you going to be a traditional face-off, you know, you know, type style team? Um, or are you going to be a team that adjusts accordingly like the Cannons did with, you know, having an LSM take the face-offs? You know, the Water Dogs who have a short stick and courier um, and, and then sometimes they'll throw their pole out there. Um, how are they going to – how are you going to make it work for you? The teams that did well this year were able to make it work for them. Where other teams didn't, I think, you know, you look at the Atlas who had, you know, the number one faceoff guy in the league, absolutely just have a, an MVP type season and they could not win games. And I just don't think that they were able to utilize um, that strength in a way that worked for their team. Um, and I think this offseason, I think, you know, they're going to have to think to themselves, you know, are we going to move a guy like Xander Dixon? down to attack. A guy that has remarkable field vision. Um, he's got remarkable, you know, finishing ability. His shooting percentage, you know, we know what it was when he was at Virginia. Um, you know, some of the, he had some of the highest shooting percentage almost of all time. Um, and he's a guy that just adjusted really well to the PLL this, this season as a rookie. Um, is he a guy that, that gets moved down there? Um, so right now we're going to jump into our second game um, from this from the semifinals, which was Water Dogs and Cannons. Um, and, and looking at that game, you know, you saw, you know, just how same thing. It took it took a few minutes, um, you know, for for that first goal, almost similar to, you know, the the previous game. You know, you had the, you know, really to start things off, um, you know, you had you had the archer score the first goal of the game at 935. You know, when you look over at the at the Water Dogs, they scored their first goal at 938. So it took a couple minutes just to kind of get, you know, themselves, you know, rolling, get themselves, you know, that chemistry flowing. Um, but the the Water Dogs came out, you know, and put up the first three. Um, by the end of the first quarter, you know, it's it's three one Water Dogs. You know, and they've got goals from Ryan Conrad, who is, he is just, you know, a, a steady piece of that midfield. Um, he's just a, you know, thinking back to the college game when he was playing at Virginia, you know, he was a guy that could play both ways. He could play on the faceoff wings. And, you know, it, it's the same with, you know, the PLL, you know, in the professional league. He's a guy that, you know, he, he may not be the most flashiest sh uh, shooter, but he's just a guy that can finish. Um, he's a guy that, you know, is just has the ability to to contribute, you know, game in and game out, um, regardless if his, he's lighting up the, the stat sheet. Um, so he starts them off with the first goal, um, followed by Ethan Walker, who, you know, Ethan Walker did a great job off ball, you know, and that assist from Michael Sowers um, was fantastic. You know, his, Sowers' ability to let Ethan Walker operate off ball and predominantly inside um, 
it's just it, it's awesome to see. You know, he the timing between the two. Um, you know, there's one goal in this game where where Walker is a little bit outside of of the crease. You know, um, he's kind of you know floating out. He comes in and he almost seals his guy off and rolls. And as he comes out of that roll, you know, he's sealing you know his back to his player and. Sowers puts that ball right on his stick. Nothing the defender can do um, because the defender was pushed so far inside. And when he, he spun on him, you know, his back is to the defender. The defender can't get through and get to his stick. And you have Ethan Walker with that left hand catch and shoot. And you're not going to stop that. You know, the goalie is, you know, sitting right on that pipe. You have Ethan, you know, you have the ball moving from below GLE to the inside. You know, when that goalie turns, there's no stopping Ethan Walker. You know, he's got his hands free, he's catch and shoot, and and he has the ability to put such a great touch on on, on his shot. Um, you know, he gets that second goal, followed by Connor Kelly, assisted by McCardle. Um, you know, and as you're looking at 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 how the game is flowing, um, you know, that goal by Connor Kelly. The goal by Ethan Walker, you know, the assisted goals that they have here is really due to, you know, the off-ball movement, you know, that is created by the Water Dogs. Uh, you know, it's, it's the, the, their ability to move off-ball um, is, is something that is very, you know, is awesome to watch. Um, you know, as we said, that that second goal um, was just a, a, a cut and a finish, you know, from the inside with, with you know, his left hand, Ethan Walker from, from Sowers. Um, and then you get Connor Kelly, you know, who, who had that goal. It was kind of like an off-ball cut um, where, you know, he – there's that little up pick and he kind of rolls off that up pick. You know, he's coming more from the crease setting that pick up. And once that player comes off that up pick, he sets it and he rolls. And as he's rolling and turning, he's turning into McCardle. And, you know, the, the lack of communication from the Cannons defense was just there was a lack of communication, which made for a, a late switch. And it's a catch and, and a shot from Connor Kelly. Um, you know, it just that they just were were moving well. They were moving well off ball. Um, and then... You had kind of towards the end of that first quarter, you know, with four seconds to go in the quarter, um, that goal by Jonathan Donville assisted by Asher Nolting, which, uh, you know, Donville didn't have a lot of space there on the doorstep and, you know, was able to finish. And that kind of helped get the cannons going. Um, you know, it was the same thing for the cannons as it was with the Redwoods, um, you know, rushing on their possessions, not a lot of flow. You know, some of the things that they, they've done previous that they've been successful with, they, they weren't really getting into um, a lot of those opportunities. Um, but they got Donville, you know, to, you know, right on the doorstep for a goal. They ended that first quarter, 3-1. Um, and you kind of thought, okay, you know, maybe they can get something going. Um, and then they get, you know, from Islanian, they get a two-pointer, um, you know, kind of to start off their, the scoring of the second quarter. Um, and you're thinking to yourself, all right, you know, it, it's 3-3 right now. Can, you know, it's tied at three. And, and the Cannons, at that point, 
you know, they were starting to show some signs of, of you know, meshing and, and playing well and, and what they're trying to do offensively. Um, but then it just became, you know, a Michael Sowers show. And the Water Dogs just ended up rolling. Um, you know, they went on and just continued. They closed out the second quarter with scoring. You know, they get a goal from Sowers right at, you know, right after that two-pointer. Couple minutes later, they get a goal from Sowers. They get a, a goal from Connor Kelly. You know, almost, you know, 30, 35 seconds later, um, they get a two pointer from Connor Kelly. They get, you know, um, a goal from Ethan Walker, assisted by Sowers. Then, you know, the 2 11 mark, they get a goal from McCardle. Another goal from Sowers. Then you, co- you go into halftime, and, you know, where you were 3 3, you know, now it's 9 3. Going into halftime, and you know the the Water Dogs were just able to play their system. Um, Michael Sowers, the the explosion that he has um, in and out of dodges is, is crazy. It is crazy to watch. Um, and the thing too is, you know, Kielty was covering him, and I think early on realized how quick, explosive, and elusive. Sours can be, and he started to give him a lot of room, and just you could just see Sours realize he knew Kilty was playing him, to, you know, didn't want to come in tight on him because he knew he could blow right by him, and then he gave him all this space, and he just, you know, he they would send some picks, and he would just play that you know, into the hands of, of the defense and just get them thinking he's going to go to the, he's going to use this pick and he would kind of step into the pick a little bit and then just explode right out of it and go the opposite direction um, and just beat his guy. You know, he was, he had the ability, you know, we see it in the scoring sheet. He was scoring, he was feeding. Um, he just really put the defense on its heels. It's almost like they just didn't know how to cover him. And the thing with Sowers is even if you're going to play him tight, he will cre- he will find a way to get space and if if that means just pulling you into the corner the low corners below GLE he will pull you out and down and away and he will force you to either come and get him or he will force you to have to cover him running at full speed um and it's it's scary you know when when as i'm watching and i'm saying to myself you know, Sowers, he's, he's a younger, younger player. Um, he's been in the league for a few years, but he's a younger player. I'm thinking to myself, this is the face of the future of lacrosse. This is the guy, you know, that I think kids are going to like to watch. He's a fun player to watch. He, you know, his, his change of direction couldn't be any more violent. Um, you know, he, his speed in and out of his dodge is, is it's, it's beautiful to watch. It, it's really, it's really watching him. It is, is fun. Um, and the thing is, you know, with McCardle, who's that savvy veteran, you know, uh, he, he looks, he looks just as young out there, you know, in his dodges and his ability to shoot and finish and, you know, find open players. Um, you know, he's he's made others around him, you know, even better. And and McCardle is, you know, an all one an all time great. Um, Ethan Walker, the the this, the chemistry that they have together, it's crazy. You know, so we're going into halftime, 
and, and it's 9-3. And, you know, early in that second quarter, you know, 30 seconds in, you get a two-pointer from Islanian, and you're thinking, all right, we're in this, 3-3. And then the Water Dogs go on that run. And, you know, going into halftime, you know, they're up 9-3, so they're up six. And then they come right out of the gates, you know, they get a goal from Hayes. They get a goal from Zach Courier. They get a goal from Connor Kelly. They get a goal from Ethan Walker, assisted by McArdle, um, at the four-minute, 53-second mark of the third quarter. You know, so that's kind of, you know, more than halfway through. Um, and they are just rolling. And they kept rolling with Sowers, you know, with another goal. And McArdle with another goal. You know, and you're looking at it and you're saying... It is 16 to 3 right now and 27 seconds left. Kavanaugh gets a goal for the Cannons. And you're thinking to yourself, there's there's no way. Like the the Water Dogs going into halftime, you know, they they made their mark. They came out hot in that second quarter after a two-pointer from the Cannons, and they went into halftime. And they came out and they said, you know what? We're going to put this team away. And, and they did. They did. Um, you know, that you get that goal from Kavanaugh and you're like, all right, you know, we're maybe going to, you know, we, we still got another quarter. Let's see what can happen. And then with two seconds left, Zach Courier gets a goal assisted by Sowers. Um, and that just negates that goal, that spark that the, the Cannons had, um, just absolutely takes it away from them. And then you just go into the fourth quarter and, you know, you get two goals um, for the Cannons, a goal from Asher Nolting, a goal from Marcus Holman, um, you know, and, and really you look at it and no one from the Cannons really could get going. You know, you got a goal from Donville, a two-pointer from Islanian, a goal from Kavanaugh, a goal from Nolting, and a goal from Holman. Um, just, you know, no one with more than one. Um, and, you know, you got to credit the defense uh, for the Water Dogs. You know, they are aggressive. They are scrappy. Um, you know, you, you just look at Randall. Um, you look at, at, you know, Sabia. They're just, these guys are aggressive down there. Um, and then, you know, to finish the game off, you get a goal by Connor Kelly um, in, the, in that fourth quarter. It's the final goal of the game. You know, the Water Dogs, you know, finish them off 17-6. Um, and the thing was, you know, yeah, the Cannons, they didn't play great. Um, but your hat has to go off to them. You know, they were able to turn this team around. Um, and, you know, when you really look at it, you know, the additions of Marcus Holman, the additions of Matt Cavanaugh pay dividends for this team. You know, those two veteran pieces um, really were able to, to mesh well with Asher Nolting, even though it didn't pan out for them in this game. Um, you know, they they have some real great spark plugs, um, you know, in their team. I think, uh, you know, Kirsten Goal, I think they've solidified the goalie position. You know, he, yeah, he had 44.8 um, save percentage on 13 saves. Um, but again, he had a good season. Um, I think they've got some great depth um, at LSM. You know, they've got some depth at the midfield in, in Donville. You know, the rookie, Matt Campbell, um, you know, he had a, gr a good season. You know, Drenner, again, you know, had a really good season. Um, you know, so I think they have, you know, 
a nice core at attack. I think they have a good core at midfield. You know, they they may need to, uh, you know, I think that they should, you know, they should try, you know, with, with whatever free agents they have, I think they should really, really try hard to keep this nucleus together again, um, you know, and then look to maybe add some depth at the midfield just to add a little bit more firepower. Um, you know, it, it's, it's tough to really run, you know, four mids. If one is to go down, where, where are you going to go next? Um, so I think, you know, that's a spot that I think that they could look at. Um, you know, at the defensive midfield position, you know, with trainer as Lanian, um, those pieces there, you have Bubba Fairman and, and Zach Goodrich. I think they're, they're solid right there at the defensive midfield position. Um, Ethan Rawl, you know, really came onto the scene, um, and had a, had a great rookie year, even though he was not drafted. Um, and then you look at the, you know, you know, Kyle Hartzell, you know, he, he really stepped in. Um, I think the addition of Cade Van Raphorst, that defense, you know, paid dividends for them, um, you know, with Wayne and Keelty, um, you know, their defense, I think is, is very solid, you know, so they may look to add a little depth at the LSM. Um, maybe they go the route, I'm not sure, um, of looking at a face-off guy, but I think those are the pieces, you know, do they want that traditional face-off guy? That is uh, something you you want to address, you know, in the draft. LSM, I think they're going to have to add some depth there, and we'll talk more about why later. Uh, but I think they're going to have to add some depth at the LSM position, um, and I think at the short at the short stick offensive midfield position, that may be another spot that they want to address as well. Um, but again, you know, the chemistry that this team had, um, you know, hands down. It was it was it was fun to watch. You know, you could even see it on on TV. Just the the camaraderie, um, the unselfishness. You know, and and that's why we love the game of lacrosse. Is is yeah, we love it for the goals and we we love it for the flashy plays. Um, but we love it more for for what the game gives us. The game gives us that opportunity to enjoy something that we love and do it with people that we care about. And I don't think, you know, you saw it any more than with this Cannons team. You know, the love and the passion that, you know, uh, Brian Holman coaches with, the, the passion that his staff coaches with, the, the passion that these players play with, you know, it, 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 was, it was fun to see. And it's unfortunate that the season's over and we have to wait until next year to hopefully see it again. Um, but I think... You know, the blueprint for this league has to be, you know, a lot of key pieces that the Cannons were able to build on and build with. And a lot of it comes down to chemistry, camaraderie. Um, I hate to say like almost like a college type feel. You know, it is great to watch a team of professionals listen to their coaches to listen to them, their coaches have great feedback for them. Then, you know, it's open to, you know, some of their interpretation and some of the things that they see, but it's not these, you know, these professional players walking all over their coaches. Um, you know, I, I, I like that, you know, when you watch some of these teams, you watch the water dogs, you, you watch the cannons, you, you watch the archers, you know, in their huddles, 
it appears like their players are locked in to listening to what their coaches are providing them um, and not this ego type lacrosse where, you know, I'm out on the field and I know best. Um, and, and it's, uh, it'll be fun to see, you know, what the, what the cannons do in the off season, but I really hope that they keep this nucleus together because they are just fun to watch. And I think, you know, having the success that they had this year, um, I really feel like if they can fill a couple holes in the off season and it's nothing major, if they can maybe fill a couple holes, um, keep this core together, I think they'll be back here again next year and they may be in that championship game. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, are wondering, well, what about Lyle? What about Lyle Thompson? You know, where does he fit in on this team? Um, and I hate to say this, but I don't think he fits in with this team right now. Um, I think the way that this team is built and maybe I'm wrong, um, but the style that Lyle plays with is the opposite of what made the Cannon successful this year. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Lyle Thompson. He is a great, he is a, you know, world's great attackman. You know, he'll go down as one of the greatest to ever play um, and to revolutionize the game. I mean, you see the way that, that the field players play these days um, with that kind of box-like, um, you know, play it really came from the style that Lyle brought to the field game um, and, and just has continued to push it. But I think sometimes when I watch Lyle, I, I just see him out on an island by himself. Um, and I just am wondering, can he play in a system that isn't just built around him at X, posting up at GLE, you know, posting up at, you know, at the island, you know, can he play with others? You know, can he play with others? Can he play in a system? And you just saw, you know, the coaching staff come in. They had a plan. They had a system. These guys played within it um, and they were successful. And I, I honestly feel like I think Lyle, um, I think he's going to find home somewhere else not with the Cannons next year. Um, and, and, and it'll be interesting to see which team picks him up. I know that there are rumors of, you know, that, that, that the Chrome should look to him. I'm not 100% sold on that either. Um, I, I think that there's some other teams that may be a better fit for Lyle um, and that he could mesh and play within that system. Um, and that's something that we'll talk, you know, once we hit the offseason. Um, but again, you know, just a, a, you know, a great performance by the Water Dogs. Unfortunate to see the Cannons, you know, have to go home. Um, but this matchup between the Archers and the Water Dogs is, is going to be a real treat. It is going to be a fun, exciting game. Um, you know, you've got some of the best players in the world, you know, in this past weekend, you know, you had Michael Sowers, you know, who, who contributed six points, three goals and three assists. You had Dylan Ward with 13 saves going 72.2%. Um, how does, how does this guy, you know, not get the recognition, um, within the, the first team or second team, you know, just, he is, you know, like a black hole out there. Um, you know, and, and, most of the time, he's in all black. Um, you know, he just, 
even even on some of the shots that go wide, um, there were a couple from you know that I remember from watching this pa- the the semifinals where you know they were trying to put it low and away, um, and it went off target. It was off cage, and his stick was right there. You know, if that is on net, it's going right into his stick. Um, you know, he, I think he sees the ball better than anybody. His anticipation um, is remarkable. You know, his his hands are explosive. Um, you know, he just is a, a remarkable goalie. There's no way around it. You know, uh, he is such a key piece to the success of this team. You know, and then you look at Zach Courier, who, you know, a traditional offensive midi, a guy that can play, you know, he he can be the two-way guy for you. You know, he goes 12 of 17 at the faceoff X. Um, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's surprising to see, you know, that, you know, you have two teams that don't have that traditional face-off guy. And it's, it's interesting to see how are the water dogs with, with not a non-traditional face-off guy against a, a traditional guy in Mike Sisselberger, who's had a, a great season, you know, in his rookie campaign, how, how's that matchup going to go? Um, and and it's it'll be it'll be interesting to see you know it'll be interesting to see you know the the amount of shots you know the water dogs you know had about forty five shots this past weekend which was right up there with you know the archers um, in in their game they shot a little bit better their shooting percentage was thirty five percent so their shooting percentage was a little bit better um, you know their their turnovers were less. Um, you know, the face-offs, they won 56% of the face-offs. Um, and then the goalkeeping, you know, 75%, you know, from Dylan Ward. Um, and then again, they, they are a team that, you know, found success and was able to possess the ball more. Um, they had more, more touches, more passes, you know, and I think those stats, you know, I really like the way that the PLL looks at passes, um, because sometimes, you know, in the college game, you're going to get you're going to get that. You're going to get a system that these players are, are, are a part of and the system creates multiple passes and off of passes, you know, certain types of passes generate dodges. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we talk about, you know, those, you know, east, west passes that create north-south dodges um, and just how we set up dodges and where our dodging points are. Um, you know, it's really good to see that, you know, a team like the Water Dogs had, you know, 213 passes in a game. You know, it's it's making for a fun brand of lacrosse um, that I think, you know, its predecessor, the MLL, it just the the chemistry wasn't there. It, the you know it was very much almost like hero ball. There, you know, at times it almost felt like when I was watching it that there wasn't a lot of strategy. Um, there there wasn't a lot of like relationship between the college game and the indoor game. Um, but I feel like the way that this league is going right now, it, it's it's fun to watch. You see a lot of things that. Are, are, are being emphasized and, and shown in the college game, you know, now in, in the pro game. Um, so it going into this coming matchup between, you know, the archers and, and the water dogs, it, it's going to be, it's going to be, in my opinion, it could be, it could go down as one of the best um, championship games 
of, of all time. You have the Archers who have not won a championship yet. Um, they're a team that over the years, many have felt they were loaded. They were loaded with talent. They were a team that should have been there, but just couldn't get there. Um, they made a lot of changes to their roster, you know, where Holman goes to the Cannons, Manny goes to the Whip Snakes. Um, you know, they kind of revamped their midfield a little bit. You know, they build around Connor Fields, who at times in his career, you know, he moved from the Chaos to the Archers, you know, and then the Archers just almost didn't even know how to utilize him. You know, they, they had him running out of, the, out of the midfield. They had, you know, this log jam with some of their attackmen. Um, and it finally took them moving some guys, you know, um, and, and not re-signing some guys to then allowing this to be, you know, Connor Fields on that left side, you know, and then they've got LeClaire, um, they've got Matt Moore, they have Mac O'Keefe, who they plug in, you know, on, on attack. And I think now it, it'll it'll be interesting to see if they go with, you know, Grant Amen again at the attack position. Um, I don't see how you can't. I think, in my opinion, I would go with O'Keefe. I'd go with Amen, and I would go with um, Connor Fields at the attack. I think you've got speed. You have explosiveness. You have, you know, two guys that can dodge from different parts of the field. You know, Connor Fields is, is more of a wing dodger. You know, he can get over the top. He can get underneath. Um, you know, you have Grant Amen who can dodge from like the low wings. He can dodge from X. He can dodge from the corners. You know, he can, he can beat his guy, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. He can utilize picks really well. You've got O'Keefe, who's great off ball. Um, and then you've got like that depth that they have at the midfield. Um, you know, Schreiber, MV, MVP type season, you know, with him. You've got LeClaire, um, Matt Moore's back and he can run out of the midfield too, which I think is a better option. Um, you got Rodgers who, who contributes a lot um, and it'll be interesting to see. They're probably going to utilize him at the defensive midfield position as well. Use him in transition because he is um, an offensive threat. And it, it, it allows them to not have to wholesale sub everybody. It allows them to have these offensive-minded guys out there. It'll be interesting to see if the Water Dogs iso isolate him at the defensive end and, and run some things either, you know, just some, some dodges against him they, you know, try to include him in some two-man stuff. You know, I, if he's matched up on somebody, do they float below GLE and maybe use, you know, get Rodgers involved in, you know, some two-man action, you know, with Sowers where, you know, they can maybe create some matchups, they get a switch. And then, you know, you've got Sowers who can just ISO on that short stick. It'll be interesting to see how they, how they match up. But it, it, this should be you know, a great matchup. You have two goalkeepers who are coming off great games. Um, you know, two of the best in, in the business. You've got Sisselberger versus the, you know, Zach Courier and potentially some LSMs that may, you know, float in there as well. So that will be a great matchup to watch, you, you know, seeing how Hasek, um and that defense match up against Sowers and that attack unit. 
you know, who's going to be the guy to cover Sowers? You know, we talked about Hasek being, you know, an eraser type like player. Um, will they go with him? You know, be a little bit more physical. Um, will they try to maybe get a little bit more speed on Sowers? It'll be interesting to see how they match up there. Will they put somebody on Sowers and just try to force him to certain spots and, and slide in certain scenarios? Maybe they'll try to match speed and get him to, you know, to roll, you know, at the island and just double from behind. Um, you know, will they let him, you know, dodge? Maybe they'll double team him, you know, off of picks. Um, maybe they'll try to, you know, implement like a stack and whack where they'll just kind of jam him and just try to be heavy on him, um, be physical with him. It's going to be a great matchup, um, you know, just across the board, the matchups, you know, the, the attack units versus the defensive units, you know, both teams, I think, are, are solid. The goalkeepers, it'll be fun to watch that matchup as well. Um, so we're in for, for a great matchup this coming, um, this coming weekend, this coming Sunday at 3 p.m. Um, in, in Philadelphia, it's uh, Subaru Park, should make just for a great game. Um, the last thing I want to jump into is just some news from this past week um, and as recent as, as of today. Um, and it's something that I'm curious to see how this will go over the offseason. Um, you know, the, the league is, in my opinion, I think it's in, it's in a great place. Um, I think there's some things that the league will probably have to iron out. Um, and that is potential like venues, you know, locations for what they, they're saying is, you know, the teams are going to have certain markets. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they start to even talk about maybe bringing in, you know, a couple more teams to the league and maybe go with instead of like an 18 model, maybe a 10 team model, because um, there is a ton of talent out there. Um, but we just recently had two guys retire. Um, Brody Merrill being one of them who, you know, I, I know that, you know, he, he has been around for a long time. Um, you know, when you look back at his career, you know, coming out of the Salisbury school in Connecticut, you know, the accolades started there with, you know, new England defensive player of the year, all new England team, first team, high school, all American, you know, then he goes on to, to Georgetown, you know, from 2012. 2002 to 2005. So that's kind of roughly in, you know, a couple years where while I was playing college ball, um, you know, he really revolutionized um, the position. You know, his final two years at Georgetown, he was a first team All-American. Um, you know, he was, you know, in his senior year, defensive player of the year. Um, during his final two seasons, he was on the Tawaraton finalist list. Um, first team All-American and All-ECAC player. Um, he was, you know, team MVP, ECAC Defensive Player of the Year in 2005. Um, goes on and finishes his career at Georgetown with 250 ground balls, um, which is, is a Georgetown record for a anyone that is a non-face-off specialist. Um, so that's remarkable, you know, um, as, as a college player. Then we start the pro career. Um, you know, he's drafted into the NLL. You know, he's drafted by the, the Lumberjacks, you know, um, who 
were, were based out of Portland, you know, in, in his rookie campaign. He's rookie of the year, defensive player of the year. Um, goes on to the 2009 um, All-Star game and named a starter. Um, you know, he, he then, you know, as that team kind of folds, he gets, you know, picked up first overall pick in the dispersal draft um, by the Edmonton Rush. Then in 2011, he's traded to the Wings, um, goes on to play, you know, for San Diego, um, San Diego Seals. He's named a team captain there in the 2018 season. Um you know, and then in in 2020, he becomes the NLL's all time loose ball leader, um, which is just remarkable for for a, guy, a player of of his age, um, just to do it year in and year out, and and for that long, um, you know, he's again in in the in the indoor league, he's he's rookie of the year in 2006, defensive player of the year in 2006, uh, three time transition player of the year. Um, and then a nine-time All-Pro um, in the indoor game. Then we jump over to the outdoor game. You know, his MLL career starts off as a Rookie of the Year in 2005. You know, as a member of the Bayhawks, he goes on and wins, uh, a, you know, his first MLL championship, um, you know, with the, with, the, with the Bayhawks. He wins, you know, championships in, in 2008, 2009, um, you know, with... with you know, a, a, a career that is just incredible. Um, he goes down as the all-time ground ball leader in the MLL. Um, he goes on and wins, you know, three MLL championships, rookie of the year. He's a seven-time all-star, six-time defensive player of the year. It's just whatever league he is in, the accolades just follow. Um, and he really goes on and revolutionizes, you know, the position. Um, and, you know, it's it's remarkable. Then he he joins the the PLL in 2019. Um, he's he becomes a member of the Chaos, and then um, is selected in 2021 in the 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 expansion draft by the Cannons. And it's just it the accolades continue there. He's a, he's an All Star in 2019. Um, he wins, you know, teammate of the year in 2022, and then he gets the LSM of the year award named after him and in his honor. Um, so his legacy is is just, you know, the playing career is over, but his legacy is set. Um, you know, many will have to look back and and watch the film and realize what kind of impact he made on the field. Um, but he is somebody just a, a remarkable player. Um, you know, he internationally, he's a two-time world lacrosse championship um, best defenseman in 2006 and 10. He's a three-time all-world team in, in 06, 10, and 14. Um, you know, you look at the men's lacrosse world lacrosse championship. He is, is a, a gold winner in 06, a gold winner in 2014, and then he's a runner-up in 2010, 2018, and most recently in 2023 um, with Team Canada. Um, he also won three championships in the indoor lacrosse championship um, in 07, 11, and 15. Um, so it's just, you know, the championships are there, you know, three professionally. He goes on and, and wins two with Team Canada, Um for the World Lacrosse Championships, and then wins three indoor championships. 
Um, you know, and, and I was talking this weekend about, you know, how he retired and, you know, one year I'm coaching at the college level and, you know, we, we go down to Baltimore, Maryland for a trip and, you know, we're staying in a hotel and it's, you know, it's a short distance to the U S lacrosse facility. And a lot of teams come down to that area because they'll, they'll play at the U S lacrosse facility, which we had that opportunity to, to use their field, use their locker rooms. Um, and myself and another coach where we're, we're, we're walking in the hotel and we, we know that the Hill Academy is there. Um, there's other teams there as well. And we're, we're, we're walking in the lobby and, and the fitness at pool and fitness area are in that area and we're just walking around just making sure none of our guys are, are out and they're they're in the pool and all of a sudden we just hear